Welcome to The Extra, the show that connects you with the issues, topics, and people that are important to you. And today's topic, well, we just finished up or we're wrapping up January. And as such, you know, usually at the beginning of the New Year is when we set those New Year's resolutions. But often... Uh, we fail to attain them, sometimes giving up within weeks, maybe days. Matt Lundquist is a Columbia University trained psychotherapist with almost two decades of work and experience uh, with children, adolescents, and families. And today we're going to be talking about how to train yourself to recoup from failed New Year's resolutions. Uh, First of all, Matt, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. It's so so great to be here. This is the time of year, isn't it, when uh, <laughs> those early January resolutions are are, are starting to falter, or, or we're needing to kind of really dig deep to carry on. Let's let's talk about the psychology behind uh, setting New Year's sure. resolutions. It seems even people like myself who say, oh, "I'm not going to set a resolution around the start of the year," I think we all start to think about, "Okay." It, let's reevaluate my choices and make better choices going forward. What is the psychology behind that? Yeah, yeah, and we see that on on our end. You know, uh, this 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 seems cliche, but we certainly see it. You know, we have a lot more people people reaching out for therapy in January, and and folks who clearly have made a resolution on some level to to work on their lives and 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 start therapy as 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 part of that for sure. Listen, I think the impulse to use an occasion of kind of turning over the calendar to, you know, reflect on, you know, habits and values and, and use that as an opportunity for self-improvement and obviously the kind of the, the, the ways that culture reinforces that, you know, that's things, that things that, you know, friends and loved ones and neighbors and, and, and folks at work are doing uh, and, and that you're hearing about in the world. I think the impulse to self-improvement, I think, is, is a very understandable human impulse I think that happening at a particular kind of time in the calendar, you know, is kind of a kind of a cultural tradition. Um, I think that 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 often, and again, this is this is sort of the late January conversation. Often, I think it can be miscited in as much as there's a lot of hope that we put into uh, a little too much, and and we're obviously going to get into this more today. I think into things like will and willpower and determination which I think tends to work maybe for a week or two or three and, and sometimes a bit longer and in rare occasions for much longer, which is wonderful. But ultimately, and again, I think we'll get into this, ultimately I think to make really lasting sustained change requires something more than a commitment, even if that commitment is really very sincere and, and well-intentioned. Is, is it a matter of, of willpower? I mean, I always say I'm, I'm going to journal more in the new year. That's my, uh-huh. <laughs> every year yeah. it seems like I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I do a lot of writing for work, but uh, personal writing, I'm going to do more personal writing. And uh, unfortunately, yeah. that, that seems to fall aside. So is it a matter of that I just don't have the willpower or others out there who are making similar resolutions, they, they lack the willpower? Yeah. What I would say is I think it's asking too much of willpower and, and determination, which again, and I, I think we see this very well in, 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 in research. I think this is something that's easy to research and, and specifically this idea of New Year's resolutions is something that's researched a lot. Um, you know, I think we see this in conversations around things like addiction, you know, people who have a problematic relationship with alcohol, for example, and we look at a question of, you know, what, what mechanisms of trying to fix that succeed and don't. And, and it, it turns out that willpower can be 
for most people useful for a short period of time and then not so useful. And of course, we all hear about and we love to hear about in you know social circles or on social media and really celebrate the friend or the person we know of who was able to you know quit smoking cold turkey and and you know just one day I decided to put cigarettes down and and that's great that's not the norm and so you know no I I don't think it's it's a lack of willpower and and determination on your part for example with your commitment to journaling just to use that as an example um, but I think it's simply the case that that willpower just isn't enough. I think that's not going to succeed for most people. I think that means you're human. And and nowadays, so many of these journeys, uh, whether they succeed or fail, are are documented for the world on social media. Has that been a plus or a minus? Yeah, I mean, I think, listen, I I think it's a mixed bag, uh, like a lot lot of things with social media. And and I, I try not to be too down on it, even while... I, I can see and, and hear about in my practice some of the shortcomings of it and experience that in other ways, certainly hear about it in the media and, and I think particular reasons to be concerned about it. But I think as regards this issue, I think there's some pros and cons. I think that social media is one of the contexts in which people are deriving you know, inspiration and even you know, tools and techniques I'm seeing in some of my social media feeds, which I love. You know, you know here, Here's how to kind of sustain habits better and to be more successful with that. And, you know, some of that stuff I think is more useful and less so, and obviously different success rates for different people. You got to discover what works for you. Um, so that seems to me to be, to be good. You know, people who decide I'm, I'm going to use this occasion. I'm going to be inspired by somebody else's success to, to make a move in my life to be healthier and happier or, or, or add something to my life that I think is going to be really, you know, additive. That seems great. I think there are, are, are t- at least two, probably more ways that that can be problematic. I think that when we see people be really successful, particularly when their strategy to that success is willpower, I think it can create the false impression that willpower is what's going to work. I think it easily introduces a kind of whole aspect of, of shame and self-blame if that doesn't work for you, even though that's what's true in practice for most people. Uh, I think when it doesn't work so well, I think it can be disheartening and, and, and um, you know, really, I think, make, make people feel kind of down about themselves or even hopeless. And so, you know, what I like to say, and again, this is the time of year I'm having a lot of those conversations as folks are struggling or, or, or failing, kind of falling off their commitments, is I think that change is possible, but I think it's a whole lot more complicated and needs to be a whole lot more holistic than just picking one or two items to, to, to commit to um, and, 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 and to make some peace with that and be kind to ourselves with that, of course. Well, we're continuing the conversation. Our guest today, Matt Lundquist, who is a couples and family children therapist uh, out of New York City. We have more of the extra talking about resolutions, how to rebound if you've not quite lived up to them in the new year. We'll talk about that when the extra continues. We're back with Matt Lundquist, our expert who is talking to us about how uh, we make our way through this uh, potentially fraught uh, New Year's time when in 2024 or anytime uh, we get a new year, it seems like we want to turn uh, over a new leaf and make some changes in our lives. And and yet that seems uh, very difficult to attain or and to sustain long term. So let's talk about Matt. Uh, what would you say are the top, say, 
three uh, resolutions that people have a problem sticking with? Yeah. Yeah, I would say that probably the top three ones that people have a hard time sticking with are probably also the three most common ones, because I, I, I think that reinforces this idea that I think resolutions per se, the kinds of things that we tend to want to address by making a resolution, tend, tend, to, be, tend to be tough, and I think there's a high failure rate. So certainly the thing I hear about the most in my practice uh, is, is, is wanting to change a relationship with alcohol. Uh, alcohol is ubiquitous, I think far and away the most common <laughs> drug that folks use and, and, and you know, something that can be a fine and healthy part of some people's lives, but understandably, particularly coming out of the holidays, a lot of people want to reflect on that. Um, and then I think there's lots of other things, I think probably some tough competition for the second one. Uh, people who want to exercise more, I think kind of a relationship with the body, exercise and eating, I think are very, very, very common things. Certainly, uh, journaling is one. You mentioned that for yourself. Certainly that I, I hear a lot. Um, things like wanting to be in touch with family members more and friends more and kind of prioritize a different work-life balance. That's been more popular, I think, especially since COVID, where a lot of people are doing some heavy reflecting on that. And again, I think with, with mixed success rates, I think some of the things that, that more trend on changing a really specific part of one's life, like, you know, giving up alcohol or, or adjusting a relationship with that, those are, are kind of well documented and that tracks for me anecdotally, I think to have a high failure rate without yeah. being again kind of addressed as part of a broader context and, and usually involving some deeper, more ongoing work. So Matt, what what can be a more reliable path towards improvement? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I have the wonderful advantage of, of that, that most of the conversations I have about this are professional conversations with people who are already engaged with me in therapy. And so we have a relationship and we've already done some work. I, I know them and I know their emotional lives. I know their historical lives. I know how their lives are organized, who, who's in their lives and, you know, what sorts of people are, are supportive of them having better habits, what sorts of people are maybe not so supportive or can be can be, um, you know, disruptive to that process. And, and we've got a context to kind of work on this stuff in a broader context. And I mentioned this word holistic a couple times. I think this word context is a useful word and certainly something I talk to people about. And so I think about, for example, you know, what I said was, I, I think at least in, in my practice, one of the more common issues is people wanting to either give up alcohol or, or, or make some real changes in their relationship with alcohol to drink less. And I think that if people are trying to do that, where they're just trying to change their relationship with alcohol in isolation from looking at the rest of their lives, that tends to not be so successful. And so things that we look at is you want to drink less, but your partner drinks a lot and your partner hasn't made that commitment coinciding with you making that commitment. That's going to make that more difficult. Also, you know, maybe something somebody in their, in their 20s who, like a lot of people in their 20s here in New York, maybe has organized a lot of their social life around activities that involve alcohol. Dates tend to involve alcohol. Catching up with friends, watching games, going out after work tends to revolve around alcohol because that's the particular culture uh, that they're in, involved in. And, you know, when that's the case, I think we, we have to say, gosh, I think that for you to take a dry January, maybe make a plan to head into February and moderate more, that seems great. Want to support you to do that. I think that aligns with your health. Your doctor is going to be made happy by that. But boy, let's look at the fact that, you know, the last three times you went out, 
with friends that involved alcohol, the last three dates you went on that involved alcohol, your, your, your roommates drink. Um, let's take a look at that and, and really consider maybe some bigger changes are going to need to happen. Maybe you're going to need to find new kinds of social activities. Maybe you're going to need to talk to your friends about supporting you, doing different kinds of activities, seeing if they're interested in adjusting their relationship with alcohol. Maybe they're in a similar place where you can do more than just realign activities, but support each other in that process. In other words, it's looking at that in a deeper context. Now, the other deep context of that, of course, is, well, let's look at how come you've organized your relationship with alcohol in the ways you've had, even if you're ready to change it. You know, what was your parents' relationship with alcohol when you first started drinking, whatever that was? You know, how did that factor into your emotional life? And that may have been a tool for socialization, for meeting people, for hooking up, for, you know, dealing with stress or anxiety. And I think we may need to change and come up with some things that are maybe healthier and more sustainable to address the issues that historically alcohol has filled so that you can have more success with alcohol. And oh, by the way, you know, work on some better habits that are healthier that don't necessarily get the headline when we think about changing, changing a relationship with alcohol, but need some attention and, and can be real areas of benefit. We are with Matt Lundquist, our guest today. We have more of the extra coming up in the second half hour. You're listening to KRDO News Radios. We're back with Matt Lundquist, and we're talking about aspirational New Year's resolutions, what they can tell us about ourselves, and how the journey to attaining them can be very fraught and, and can sometimes rebound, and, and how best to set ourselves up on a sustainable path toward success. So Matt Lundquist is our guest today. He's a couples and family therapist out of New York City. So Matt, uh, I uh, had a uh, principal at my daughter's school once share uh, what I thought was very actionable. I I never tried it, but um, they had a rubber band that they would wear on, all all the staff did, Mm -hmm. on their wrist. And when they found themselves not sticking with a goal that they had set for themselves, they would slip it to the other wrist. It was like one of those rubber band bracelets. And I thought, well, that's, Mm -hmm. you know, something that really keeps it kind of top of mind, you know, and and for them, I'm sure it had to do with, you know, teaching, teaching strategies, maybe not yelling at the kids as much or whatever, Mm -hmm. Uh, not not Mm -hmm. letting them get away with uh, murder or what have you. (laughs) But uh, Mm -hmm. when it comes to us, are those, uh, is that like something you would buy into? Sure. Yeah, listen, you know, it, it's one of the, the joys of, of doing this work is that I, I hear and, and come across so many kind of wonderful tools and, and, and techniques, and some, some of them are, are super concrete and practical, like, like the rubber band, and I, I certainly heard versions of that. And so I, I'm always sort of adding to my, my toolbox, and, and my feeling is, you know, whatever's in my toolbox, I want to share with you. And, and, and what I, what I particularly like about this intervention, which is maybe a little bit less obvious, is, is that they all did it together. And, and it was organized in a way where everyone kind of had some skin in the game. And, and with this idea of kind of moving into the other wrist, you could walk into the teacher's round and, and notice that. And, and hopefully, you know, teachers tend to be pretty kind, especially to each other in this way. In these ways, they could say, oh, gosh, did you, did you fall off the wagon? How's, how'd that go? How's that going? And then hopefully also, you know, express, uh, you know, a sense of camaraderie and, and shared ownership of that and also some cheerleading and rallying and saying, you know, you can do better this afternoon. Go back out there. I know you can do it. You know, we'll get that rubber band back to the other wrist. 
Um, and that's kind of wonderful. And that's another kind of really important part of this, this thing we were talking about before around this idea of context is you're not doing this alone. And, and, you know, again, I think, you know, making it through a big change, maybe for a week or two, lots of people can maybe power through that. And that's fine. That's kind of wonderful. But at a certain point, I think you're going to need all the help you can get. And I think other people who are on your side and believe in you and kind of can remind you of your commitments when you really don't feel like it um, are, are, are a wonderful tool. So, you know, I, I love that the principal did that because it was a, a nice way of kind of getting everybody on, 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 on board with that for sure. So having like that support group, what are some other, yeah. uh, other than just like establishing or being in a support group? Like I, I know Jenny Craig yeah. for weight loss has their, you know, centers. And when you're going in there, yeah. it's a very accepting, uh, kind of environment yeah. and people bond around each other and each other's journeys. What other kind of strategies would you, uh, suggest that maybe, uh, uh, aren't as explored. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and you know, shout out to things like Jen and Craig, which have have a track record of of really helping people. Obviously, things like AA, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, and those kinds of groups, and 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 there's endless kinds of support groups can be really wonderful. But I, I think your question of, of getting at what are some things that that you know when those aren't aren't accessible, or when you're trying to make a change, maybe that there just isn't a support group for. Although there's there's lots of them, and I think more of them are online since COVID. Certainly would encourage people to to, to look for them. But but I think you, your your point is like, what are some ways short of a formal support group uh, of doing that? You know, I think with a little help from your friends, I, I think, you know, soliciting, checking in with people, I think one of the things that's kind of wonderful, especially around January, but really always, is if you check in with enough friends and let them know what you're working on, you have these kind of wonderful discoveries that you might not otherwise have, which is that your friend is working maybe on the same thing or maybe on something different. And there can be, you know, a kind of alignment. I had a, a friend many years ago, two friends actually, who were both in their uh, year of a, of a a pre-tenure sabbatical and so had a year off before getting prepared to do a big push to, to publish in research and they you know were in completely different disciplines and were at different universities but set up a call every monday morning to set their commitments for the week and a call every friday afternoon to talk through what what they'd done for the week and and could really support each other and hold each other accountable that was really beautiful you hear all the time about you know this friend is trying to uh, stop biting her nails, and this other friend is trying to kind of yell at her kid <laughs> less. And they establish a kind of mini support group where they check in with each other around that and send each other, you know, supportive memes and 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 give each other high fives and and celebrate, you know, give each other a treat when they have some wins. Um, those that those those things are. It's wonderful to hear about that and to hear all the kind of creative ways that people support each other. I, I think I think those are, are really fantastic. So being creative, involving people around you, workplaces certainly I think often do a great job deciding, you know, to invite people who want to work on something similar to kind of get together and support each other. And it makes a big difference and, and, and makes it kind of fun. You know, take some of the intensity off it, I think helps some of the disappointing moments where where you slip feel a little less a little less bad and in some ways that I think can be super helpful. Our guest today is Matt Lundquist, a Columbia University-trained psychotherapist who's allowing us to maybe be a little bit more forgiving toward ourselves uh, if we have set a New Year's resolution or a goal or uh, maybe some sort of mission for the uh, to accomplish for the new year and failed to make those uh, steps that we wanted to do in that direction. We're back with more of the extra and our guest Matt Lundquist in a moment.
We're back with our guest, Matt Lundquist, uh, who has been talking about the importance of not going it alone, how seeking out support can help you build some paths towards self-improvement that are sustainable, that uh, maybe won't have you uh, throwing out those New Year's resolutions uh, quite so fast. I mean, New Year's resolutions are very difficult uh, to sustain over the long term. And uh, the key is uh, to finding a way to making meaningful change, if that is something you are seeking in your life. So if people have stumbled and maybe yeah. given up completely on their resolutions, how do you come back from that feeling of failure? Yeah. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a great, a great thing. You know, I am not a meditator, but I took a class in meditation, you know, many years ago. And one of the things that was kind of wonderful that the teacher said is, is, is listen, a lot of people have, you know, people who are new to meditation have this misunderstanding that the idea is that you're supposed to, like, succeed at kind of clearing your mind and 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 creating the kind of mental space that you're striving for, but in reality, that takes years to attain, and 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 at a perfect level is really impossible. And so, a lot of what it means to learn to meditate is to forgive yourself over and over again. And I, I think of that as kind of a lovely metaphor, which is. In, in, in practice, you know, again, we always hear about the person who just decided to make a change and did it and never looked back. And that's wonderful. And we certainly celebrate those folks. <laughs> but we, we need to understand that we're celebrating those folks in the ways that we maybe are celebrating an Olympic athlete, which is, you know, somebody who can, 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 can swim, you know, faster than, than most people in the world. That's an exception. And, and we should celebrate those exceptions because they're in, inspiring and motivating. But I think we should have to, we should remember, though, as well, that the rest of us are, are, are mere mortals and, and to have the humility of saying, I'm not somebody who's able to just do something with willpower. And also, I'm not somebody who's necessarily going to do this with a perfect track record. That's the bad news. And that's a bummer and can be frustrating. But the upside of that is, it doesn't need to be perfect. And most of the kinds of commitments that we decide to take on are the sorts of things where we can slip and have a have a day where we engage in something that we don't want and then get back on the horse and and, and continue to ride. And so so much of that revolves around this idea of forgiveness. And I think certainly of course having people around you when you're feeling down and saying, oh, I messed up, I, I, I cheated all day yesterday, and I cheated this morning with, with my diet. And having people around you who say, okay, that happens. you got to let yourself have that sometimes. What about kind of getting back on track and, and, and not allowing that to cause you to be so hard on yourself that you slip into, um, you know, kind of beating yourself up and, and those things, which, you know, are no fun, but also are really not good for succeeding at, at making these kinds of changes, of course. That's not, not, not a headspace. A forgiving headspace is a headspace that I think is, 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 is going to best contribute to being able to do these things really well. Well, that is a perfect place to end it on. Matt Lundquist, our guest today, who is a Columbia University-trained psychotherapist who specializes in couples therapy and family therapy. Oh, we can't thank you enough for joining us here on The Extra. And to our listeners, thanks to you, too, for joining in this hour of conversation. Uh, 2024 may be uh, just a month down, but there's still a lot of time to uh, think about uh, the direction you want your life to head in and how to make 
climate change that is sustainable, but also uh, that is not so harsh on you that you don't feel like you're stumbling if you're failing to um, make those and stick with those resolutions. That's been The Extra. Tom Martino is up after the break. I'm your host, Shannon Brinius. Hope you have a great day, and we'll talk to you tomorrow, 9 to 10 a.m., right here on KRDO News Radio.